listening to an episode of The Rewind, a podcast series by the Howenstein Center for Presidential Studies in Grand Rapids, Michigan. This particular episode features audio from our Wheelhouse Talk on January 18th, 2024. We invited the Senior Vice President of Talent and Diversity at the Right Place, Tarita Johnson, to our stage as part of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Commemoration Week. It was an amazing conversation that weaved in her story with the legacy of Dr. King. There is also an off the stage podcast episode with Tarita and I that I definitely think you should listen to. So I'll make sure to link that below. So check that out. All right, let's rewind. I'm trying not to dance up here. If you know me, I like music a lot. You can make it. Now I can sing because I can't sing. So um, it is an honor to be here before you and those watching on Zoom. Thank you to Dr. Mantella and her team. I told her I was going to be like her and wear this GVSU blue, and I'm all blued out. Even my nails is blue, you know. So I'm a Laker today. Um, thank you to the students in the Peter C. Cook Leadership Academy, Megan Radecki, Abby Sachs, Maddie Miller, and the Howenstein Center, Jesse Barnow, and your entire team in the Office of Inclusion and Equity, as well as the students, faculty, staff, and my dear colleagues from the right place. Um, it means everything that y'all hear for me today, as well as um, my team and uh, my church family from Lighthouse uh, Fellowship and the friends and folks in the community that I know are online. I have many, many people that told me that they were logging in today from all over, and I'm really so thankful about that. So we are going to start off, and my title is Don't Give Up On You As You Expand The Dream. What was so fun about putting this presentation together is I was able to find a march of GVSU, and then there's several marches of Dr. Martin Luther King. So it's nice to have that contrast here, believing that we still today are living the dream. So we're gonna start off with a demonstration that I call character building. Do I have two volunteers that will join me on the stage? Well, I'm gonna call you out because I know some people in this audience. Okay, come up, that's great. <laughs> you know, it may be some tricks if you come up on this stage now. So I'm gonna give you, what's your name? I'm Mallory. Mallory, okay, come on out, and MJ? Okay, so I'm gonna give you some bricks. I'm gonna have you actually hold all of these bricks, and then um, I'm gonna give you one brick. And let's get to the center of the stage, and I'm gonna see just a little bit how strong you are a little bit. All right, so Mallory is holding a few different bricks, and you have one, what's your brick? Love. love, love is her brick. And then she has, she's holding faith. Oh, you know what? Sometimes in life, you know, you know, that happens. She's holding trauma and trauma is just as crazy as it is on here, as well as injustice. Can't even find a C and the E. Then what else you got? Reject, so rejection. What else? Racism and bias. Racism and bias. All right, I'm gonna give all these bricks. Can you think you can hold all these bricks back? I got you. All right, just for a little bit, just for okay, a second. Got you. 
So character building, we all have bricks that we carry. Now this is the thing about bricks. These bricks can help build our character. And as we think about social and economic injustice, we have a lot of bricks that each of us carry every single day. The challenge is if she's holding all of these bricks along, is that easy for her to carry every day? Because every day we are each carrying bricks that other people don't see, whatever the challenges in our life has been. But you notice we have some good bricks, right? So if we take some of these bricks away from you, I'm going to keep hope with you. Because okay. you need some hope. You had a lot going on here. We're going to give you, we're going to even this out. And I, you know, I'm going to keep the faith with you too, because okay. you know, you Thank may need you. a little Thank bit of you. faith, <laughs> right? Is it easier to hold those bricks? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What about you? It's a little harder. But it's, it's a little manageable. bit harder, but it's manageable. So if we share our bricks, it's a little bit easier. And I want you to think about this concept as I go throughout this speech today, that each of you are laying a foundation. Whether you realize it or not, you're laying bricks. This is the thing about bricks. Either you can carry all these bricks with you invisibly every single day, whether you go to work, you're in the community, and you're holding it. And it's like when she had all of these bricks, it was too much. Or you can learn to lay the foundation of the bricks that help you to build character. So I may have some hope because that's going to get me through. Even if I'm dealing with rejection, it's part of my story. It's part of my foundation in laying the brick. But if I balance it out with the good things, as well as have somebody to help me kind of balance it, then I can get through. Thank you, ladies. All right, we're going to get right into this. As I put these bricks down, and I'll have something for both of you later. All right, so the cool thing about Dr. Martin Luther King, there are so many good nuggets as I was listening to his autobiography. This is one of his quotes, only when it is dark enough, you can see the stars. So we each have those bricks and when we have challenges, if we didn't have those challenges, it is actually those challenges that help to build our character. So I'm gonna give you seven steps today. I'm gonna entwine a little bit of Dr. King's story, my story, and then give you a call to action with each of the steps. Now I pick seven because seven is the number of completion. It is also my sorority line number and I was like, hey, the line is incomplete unless I'm there. So um, number one, believe in yourself. Now Dr. King spoke six months before he was assassinated to junior high school students. And the speech was called, uh, what is your life's blueprint? And one of the sayings that he said to them, number one in your life's blueprint should be a deep belief in your own dignity, your worth and your own somebodiness. Now we know that somebodiness is not actually a word, but I love what he was saying here. As you look at the pictures, he believed early on because his mom and dad told him, listen, segregation is a social condition. Because he knew it was a social condition, he knew that he could change it. You can change conditions. Then there's a picture when he was actually speaking to those students. And then there's a picture with me. Listen, y'all, I didn't know that I would be having crowns, but I won the preschool queen and king contest. Now, my family loved this picture, and the interesting thing about this is for my kids, they actually have physical tiaras and crowns that I've actually had them march around the house 
saying like, you know, I am somebody doing affirmations and all of these things because I needed them and I need them to understand that even if you don't have a physical crown on your head, you always hold your head up and you walk high and know that you are somebody. If that crown falls off, you pick it back up, you pick your head back up and guess what? You fix the crown of the person next to you. So, so important. So I'm gonna challenge you today because oftentimes we play the comparison game. We have challenges, roadblock, even negative people that are well-intentioned in our lives that's putting us down. What is stopping you from fully believing that you can do something you want to accomplish? When the enemy of comparison, anxiety, feeling not good enough happens, how will you remember to believe in you? So that's number one. Moving right along. Number two, be rooted in your foundation. Dr. King said, faith is taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. This saying is actually in a, a plaque right on my staircase. And so his foundation was church. Church was his second home. His father was the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church and the president of the NAACP. So you can see how he ended up to be who he is. He said when he was in solitary confinement, he survived because of his faith in Jesus and his family and his support network. Now, for me, I have a similar faith background. These are my parents. My father is deceased, but, and, and I, I, I was like born in church, y'all. Listen, this is not everybody's story though. So you may not have that same belief system, but what is your foundation? See your background, your worldview, your belief or non-belief system, your values, your support network, and your challenges. Think of those bricks, build your foundation. You have to understand your foundation, even if you have to rec recreate it. So if you had a lot of bad things that happened, we gotta face those things. Think about laying the brick down as part of my foundation. It's making me stronger, but now I need to create a foundation. If you don't understand how you've been rooted, what you may need to change and how you can know where you're going, you're in trouble. So we have to understand our foundation and it needs to be strong in something that affirms you. Number three, be a student of history, yourself, your interests and others. Dr. King said the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Let that just sink in. Dr. King was in school 21 years before taking a break. Now this is really shaming y'all because I'm in a PhD program. And for those of you that know, I fall off the bus all the time. Now I'm back on, I finished the coursework. I finished my comp exams two years ago. So I'm in dissertation phase. And this has been one of the hardest things that I had to do because I have to discipline myself. But when I was listening to his autobiography, he said that three hours before he went to work, he wrote his thesis. Then he came home after work and three hours wrote again, six hours a day and did not take a break. In addition to that, he studied Gandhi. It's so important that we study people that are not like us, that we get understanding because this is what's really gonna grow your development and your character and you get ideas. He was so enthralled by Gandhi because Gandhi had a no violence policy. And he changed the caste system in all of the temples there. You can read about it if you know anything about Gandhi. It is fascinating. When I think about another personal story, 
that helps you to understand how we should connect to people that's not like us or they have different access and resources. I know my boss is in this room. Thank you, Randy. Listen, we had, and they laugh at me because I always say, listen, we had an executive retreat. Now, before I moved to Michigan, I didn't know anybody with a boat. I moved to Michigan and everybody here got a boat. That just was not part of my upbringing or growing up. It just wasn't in my life. So we go on this executive retreat a few months back. And Randy say, um, I need you to hold this and come over here. And next thing I know, he got me driving the boat. Now they screaming on a boat because they like, Tarita don't know how to drive no boat. But I think I did pretty well. And it, you know what, being a part of even that experience provided access for me that I normally would not have. So it's so important that we infuse ourselves with people that have different backgrounds, experiences, exposures. And it's important that we elevate the people in our community. So I got some familiar faces in, the, in these books here, and I got some books. So my two volunteers first, you will get to pick one of the books because Gracie is here today and she wrote that first book, Rising. She has a, a powerful story. She's also an incredible speaker. Letters to Martin, he's right in our community, Jelts. And Ovel Barbie, he just spoke at the Urban League for their MLK breakfast, and then Dr. Sandra Upton. I am a firm believer in supporting the folks in our community. So as you expand your reach and knowledge, I do have copies of these books for these folks that like to uh, participate in my, my fun up here. So my call to you is, as you're being a student of yourself, your interests, and others, who are you? What do you love? What are your talents? What makes you angry? Because your anger can often lead to your purpose. What is your family history? What is the history of the country you live, the city and the state that you live in? What has been the social and economic trajectory of people different from you? Study the world around you and have an open posture. So every time I meet somebody, I honestly, you all, people are like candy to me. I want to know their story. I want to know their life journey, their path, because I learn from people so much. So we have to be open, develop empathy for people and their lived experiences that match data. So if you hear things and you're like, oh, that's, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. That's not really having empathy. And so when we think about this work of social justice and economic justice, we have to have an ear to listen to other people's lived experiences and their pain. And sometimes that means we have to slow down and stop. Number four, be confident in your purpose. Dr. King was confident in his purpose. He said injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Let that sink in. I know you've probably heard that many, many times. Often you have glimpses of your purpose in your childhood. When he was a little boy, before he even started uh, kindergarten, he had a white friend, a young man, and they loved each other and they played all the time. When school started, the father of the little boy said, you can no longer play with Ma uh, Martin. And Martin was crushed but the father demanded that they end the relationship because of the barriers and the challenges when they go into school, the segregation, all of that. Early on, he saw the impact, the negative impact of segregation. So think about 
what are those things in your childhood that happened? When I was, um, I, I, I was in elementary school, I had a friend that I played with all the time. And we used to have little slumber parties all the time. And she said, you can't come to my house. And I said, why? And she said, because my grandmother doesn't like people like you. I must have been like in kindergarten. And I still remember that to this day. I also remember my daughter, she may not like that I tell this story, but she had a little friend that was a best friend for many years. And one day she came home and she told me that the little girl told her, your skin is dirty. And then when I, I, I was so like humiliated because I knew like her parents and I knew this wasn't from them and I had to bring that up to the parents and they were horrified and addressed the situation. So when I say listen to people's personal stories and their lived experiences and be confident in your purpose because there are things that have happened that actually are part of your building, part of your character, part of your foundation. Dr. King was a strong proponent of racial justice through education and legislation. He created crisis situations through nonviolent direct action. So whenever he did the marches, whenever he did the lunch sit-ins, it was always nonviolence. Even, this is the thing about purpose, even when they were bombing his house, even when his family was in jeopardy, he said, no violence. And as I listened to this and I listened to so many speeches of his, I said, wow, he was so secure, so confident in his purpose that he would even die for it. It's so important to know and be confident in what you've been called to do. So for me, I told you about some of the stories that happened to me. I also, I went to Miami University in undergrad. I had a great education, but I experienced many situations there. I remember my first year of college, the first weekend, going downtown was called Uptown there. And so it was a group of us, we had just met, we were in the residence hall, we were so excited. We go uptown because back then all they had was a big lots and y'all, they was excited about the big lots. You know, it's not much in Oxford, Ohio. Miami University is the, the town. And they would call the people the townies. I say they, but we did, we said the townies. So we went uptown and it was a group of us. We were all first year students and there were guys in a truck and they yell off the back of the truck, go home inward. This was my very first weekend at that campus. And I had many, many incidents there. So later I realized why well, I was in everything. I was in the Black Student Action Association, Minority Student Professional, I was in everything. Because I felt like I had to find and create. I talked about creating your foundation if, if it's a bad situation. I had to create a foundation for me so that I could survive and thrive in an environment that had a lot of positivity but also had a lot of negativity because it was not that far from the KKK, one of their uh, setups. So this, when I say you must be confident in your purpose when things happen, I could have said, mom and dad, come get me. This place is crazy. They're yelling the N word. Another situation, I have many, but I'm gonna just tell you this one. On the front of my dorm, one day I came there and it said, Nana's for monkeys only, go home. This was where I lived. So not only did I get it going uptown, it was also where I lived. Now I can tell you, I have just as many positive stories at Miami as I do negative, but those stories matter. 
And if I didn't have a strong foundation and create one for me, I would not have been able to survive there. But I was confident in my purpose to finish and get my degree from that institution. So my call to action to you here is what is your purpose? Understand that your purpose can change depending on the season of life that you're in. Think about your gifts. Your gifts, I tell my daughters all the time, are not for you, they're for other people. What do you love again? That question I asked before, what makes you angry because it drives you toward your purpose? How can you develop your voice and your activism? Next one, number five, be strategic about your inner circle. Dr. King said, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Let that sink. So if injustice is happening around you and you have friends and they don't speak up and they're just a bystander, are they really your friend? So this is so important. Who you have around you matters. I have a lot of pictures of family here because he talked a lot about Coretta Scott King. Coretta he said, was so calm. Even when bad things would happen, she had strength and she could talk to him about political things. She didn't just talk about, and she was a singer, I didn't even know that. She was a soloist. She could talk to him about many things and she supported his vision. Who do you have in your inner circle? Because I'm going to tell you, not everybody that you have around you is for you. So you have to understand that some people in your life are seasonal people and they help you get to the next level. Therefore, this season, your job is to have wisdom and figure out who are the seasonal people and who are the people that are a lifetime. And you need each of them for different stages of your life, even the people that are negative. So who's in your inner circle? That matters because you want to ensure I have my family there. I have my mom. Listen, my mom, I said, listen again. <laughs> my mom is, is, I mean, she's a beast in these streets. Like, I, I, I have, I just, I am who I am today because my mom and dad. And my mom was like always speaking up. When I was five years old, she had me in a daishiki. And I used to be so embarrassed. I was like, please don't forget the fries at McDonald's because she's nice, but she gonna tell these people off, you know? So she was always like, any injustice I knew my mom got this, you know, and at first I was embarrassed, but later I understood it because the time period that she grew up in and what she experienced. So she put something in me. My dad was an introvert, very quiet, but he, they had a good balance. She was extrovert. If you had to put that on a scale of one to 10, she had 20, maybe a hundred, right? So she always spoke up for me and my sister and everybody around her. So who you have, I have her there. So your inner circle, each of you should have a board of directors, a personal board of directors. So this may be family. Now, if you've got a mom like mine, she ride or die no matter what. You could be wrong. She'd be like, get them, baby. <laughs> but I need that in my inner circle, but I also need balance. So I may have folks from uh, RPI or I, I may have friends in the community. I have a mixture of who's in my inner circle because I don't see everything because all of us have bias that is unconscious. And I need to have different lenses, but I have to have people in my inner circle that I trust. Dr. King rode with Reverend Abernathy everywhere. They was the jail together, his church was bombed, all of these things. When you see Dr. King, you often see him. So I want you to think about who's in your inner circle. I want you to think about even reverse mentorship. It goes both ways. 
I need young people in my life. I need uh, college students. I need folks in my life, all different ends of the spectrum. Do the people in your circle support your vision and your dream? They also give you wise counsel because sometimes you could jump off a cliff and you need that person to be able to yank you back up. The next one, number six, be conscious and prudent about eliminating injustice. Dr. King said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. The reason why I put conscious, we have to understand the injustices going on around us. See, when it was an opioid crisis before that, it was a crack cocaine crisis and it didn't hit everybody. But once it began to be an opioid crisis, I may be botching that word up, then it was hitting everybody. So I can't be in my bubble over here and just because in my community stuff is not going on and then all around me there's chaos. I must be conscious of the injustices that are in my sphere of influence and that are around me. So Dr. King, he understood that he had a big sphere of influence and so do all of you. I don't care what it is, you all have influence. His church was a social and economic uh, commitment. He made sure that everybody was a registered voter and they all had to be a member of the NAACP. Think about the things he did, like the bus boycott, the mobilization of volunteers, the lunch counter sit-ins, the marches, all of them nonviolently. Now, in Grand Rapids, Blacks comprise 18% of the population. 38.8% are in poverty. 8.4% of Blacks and 14.4% of Hispanics meet the 11th grade SAT proficiency. And we need people to go in the tech field. That's, that's a low number. 8.4% of Blacks, 14.4% of Hispanics. On the positive side, education is being leveraged to make a positive impact. So many places such as GVSU with a plethora of outstanding programs and other colleges and universities, private and public in this region. Our community colleges such as GRCC, special programs like STEM Greenhouse, WIMCAT, KCTC, GRCC, West Michigan Works, Thrive and Prosper, the Urban League, the Hispanic Center, the Hispanic Chamber, the Community Transformation Center, and of course the right place, and countless others are actively striving to change that narrative. So I had to have balance. Even though I see the injustices, I know the data. I was gonna roll a bunch of stats, but I was like, that's gonna scare them. At the same time, I have to have balance and understand the things that are going on in the community and how I can plug into those things and build. So my call to action to you are what are the injustices do you see? What areas do you have around you that you have influence? How can you assist existing initiatives? We don't always need to recreate something. How can you develop your voice in action to make an effective change? And how do you leverage your networks and personal board of directors to ensure you act with wisdom? I've got another demonstration. I need a couple volunteers. I need, I need about four. Volunteers, come on up, come on up. Uh, you want to come up again? Y'all come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on up. All right, and one more, come on. You was here early too, very early. I love it. All right. So I, I, I told Dr. Mantella I'm wearing this GBSU blue 
And I mean it in all ways. I'm a Laker today, whether I went here or not. All right. So we, you all play tug of war, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, you get on this side with her. I need everybody else on the other side. Right. Now, I got a soft rope. So it should be, you know. All right. Y'all come on. You come on over here. Do you think they can get it? They can do it? You think you can? Y'all got it? Y'all got it? Lisa, why are you always getting a short end of the stick? First of all, the bricks, all this, you know? Sometimes that's how life is, right? I have a crown tattoo on my wrist because of Hey. So we're good. All right. All right, on the count of three. One, two, three. Let's pull. Come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. Oh, they trying. All right, balance it out. Some people on this side. Let's balance it out. All right. Now, do we have a fair game? All right. On the count of three. One, two, three. Ethan looked like he in it to win it. Oh. Oh, y'all not playing. Oh. Oh. Oh, we, 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 we got a real tug of war here. Oh, my gosh. All right. This side determined. All right. Thank you so much. At the end of this presentation, come see me. It's all in people's books on the screen. I actually got their physical books in here today. So you get books today. Yes. Hey, so I'm not a not. In that demonstration, when we talk about injustice, when we talk about uh, any type of economic injustice, any of it, it's a tug of war. Now, when they were just a couple of them, just like the bricks, they couldn't do it. Now, it, it, they still got pulled, you know, after we balanced it out. But when we balance, when we fight these things together, the likelihood of us winning is better. So when we're in unity, when we're in partnership, remember I said I can't pay attention to what's going on, not going on in other communities around me. Because if somebody is hurting, everybody is hurting. And that we're only as strong as our weakest link. So I wanted you to have a visual representation to push this next point across. Now, Dr. King said, we must learn to live together as brothers, and I'm put sisters in there too, or whatever gender you ascribe to, or perish together as fools. What hurts one actually hurts us all, and that's why we have some of the challenges that we have today. Dr. King believed in love and unity. I too truly believe we accomplish more when we are united. We can truly see everyone beyond the surface. Our love will move us to make a difference. And that brings me to number seven. Remember I said seven things. Be fearless and loving others and creating unity. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Dr. King used love in everything he did. He sang songs with his people. He was unifying even the people because sometimes even the people that's for you and you're all fighting for the same thing, sometimes you disrupt. So you gotta create unity there and unity without. He did kneel-ins at churches, sit-ins, marches. He collectively mobilized. When I went back and I studied the actual, we hear about Rosa Parks, wonderful, wonderful woman. And we hear about that story and we hear about how everything they did, they created their own taxi system. At first the taxi said, we will discount you to ride you to work. And then enforcement came in and said, no, you can't do that. 
So then the people rallied and they got a lot of volunteers. They weren't just black volunteers. And they took people to work and then they started arresting the people, but they went a long way. We see a lot of the difference today because of this fearlessness and loving. If I don't connect with somebody, look at your friend pool. I want you to think about your friend pool. Who in your friend pool is different than you? If I don't connect with people that's different to, than me, I never understand their lived experience, their story, and I don't have an opportunity to develop love and a relationship. So when I say be fearless, because sometimes loving people that seem unlovable is really difficult to do, we have to be fearless in loving others and creating community. Violence is only going to beget more violence, but forgiveness of others, that's going to take us a long way. So as I think about all of the things that I asked you to do, I'm going to speak these out so you really get this. Believe in yourself. Be rooted in your foundation. Be a student. Be confident in your purpose. Be strategic about your inner circle. Be conscious and prudent about eliminating injustice. Be fearless in loving others and creating unity. Be. I want you to remember that. You will remember anything from this presentation. You will remember B and know that there are seven things that go with that. Especially that first one. You will remember to believe in yourself. So now, I want all of you to stand. Now, I didn't create a little affirmation off of this theme music I have. I got theme music every day I go into work. Sometimes I'm like, they like, who is this ghetto girl coming in this garage? Because I'll be loud. I come into the job with headsets on. I'm like bopping and dancing because I have to set myself up every single day. And I want you to think of theme music too for yourself for this year. Now, as I say this, the stuff in blue, remember that Laker blue. I want you to say that really strongly. As I said, you're going to repeat after me. I can make it. I am destined for greatness. I will use my gifts, my gifts. To, I will use my gifts, use my gifts. To, positively to positively impact others. I can make it. I have a purpose. I am made to do great things. Challenges and struggles propel me to succeed. I can make it. My past does not dictate my future. I will not be silent in the face of injustice. I will strive for fearless, I will strive for love, love, unity, beauty, and justice. And I can make it. These pictures, this speech meant a lot of me. Because as if you notice, this lady here is Geneva Kirkwood. That's her married name. She is first cousins or was with Coretta Scott King. That is my kid's great-grandmother. Above that is their grandmother, who is still living today, Cynthia, with the kids. And Cynthia, her mom, was Geneva. So one of the biggest regrets that I have in my life is that years ago, when Coretta and both of them were still living, she gave me Coretta's number and said, call her up. Let her know who, I, who you are to me. Because when I first went over to her house, she, I spent a lot of time with her. I, there, I was like, what is going on here? There's pictures everywhere, like, uh, like family pictures of Dr. King and Coretta Scott. So this is legacy for my kids, but it is also legacy for each of us. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
everybody we are now going to move into some q a with our uh, lovely keynote tonight uh, those of you in the audience raise your hands and we'll get out to you those of you virtual i would encourage you to um, submit your questions using the q a function of the webinar and we will also have those so any questions uh first of all i just wanted to say thank you for being here uh it was an absolutely wonderful speech Thanks. even walking two different uh, ways of life, the tiger mom got to me. Uh, I think that's something a lot of us can relate to. But I wanted to ask, um, when you're carrying a lot of bricks yourself, or if you're familiar with the chronic illness spoon analogy, mm -hmm. and you're out of spoons for the day, mm -hmm. what are ways that you can still promote social justice and caring mm. in your day-to-day -day life? What's your name? Alden. Alden, I love this question. Because... I can't keep pouring out if I never pour within myself. So self-care is critical in this fight. So go back to some of the things I said in that speech, making sure you have a solid foundation. I gotta go back to my foundation, even if it's rocky and recreate it. I have to make sure I have a strong inner circle because I need people to pour back into me. I can't keep pouring out and then I don't have anybody pouring back in me. So sometimes I have to take periods of rest. Fighting for justice looks different in different seasons of your life, right? So sometimes you may be a little bit more quieter. Sometimes you're up in front and that's using that wisdom and discernment to do that. Also having enough common sense to know I'm burnt out. I can't do it anymore. I've been there many times. That's why, you know, I gotta cover up because I'm gonna need ice cream and all these things, right? Self-care is important. Exercising and making sure that you pour into yourself, journaling your experiences, because if I keep giving out, I can experience trauma and anxiety. So I have to have balance. And I have to have people in my life that help me to know that I burnt myself out. Hi there, my name's Logan. I also wanna say thank you for speaking today. I love your energy. It is so contagious and it's just like a ball of sunshine up there. But I do kinda of have a darker question. So we were talking about breaking injustice, right? I think something we didn't really bring up though is power dynamics. How do you break injustice when the justice has higher power over you? So like, let's say for example, a boss, how would you fight that kind of injustice? Yeah, you know, so this, I'm gonna answer this question in a couple different ways. First, when we're looking for opportunities, we have to make sure that we just are not, I, I know we need money and we need a job, but we have to make sure that we position ourselves and put ourselves in places where we can flourish and we can, um, we can assess the culture. And you learn that over time. You may not learn that in your first job, the reason why I took this job at the right place is I was so like real and authentic in that interview with this team and with Randy. And I, I said, if they still gonna offer me, then it's the job for me. And I took really good time in evaluating um, what that experience was like during that process, but even investigating things outside of that. Like I have to really investigate the culture first because like some cultures you can't be in. So that's my first answer. 
Secondly, there are some environments that you don't have an opportunity. You get in there and there's strong power dynamics. I still encourage you to use your voice. I have been in situations like that many, many years ago where you use your voice and you speak up. Now, if you keep getting pressed down, pressed down, pressed down, pressed down, this is just in a work context, then I need to find another job. And that's a hard reality. Now, that doesn't mean that I tell the boss off and I quit my job and I'm like, peace out. And I got bills to pay and I got to eat. And then I'm like, I got no job. I don't know what to do. That means that I have to figure out a way that I can work this job, maintain composure, maybe take some breaks, take some vacations and things like that, and then come back to it. I've, I've had some situations, it's been many moons, and when you're sometimes young and trying to balance that, that's very difficult. It took me years to get to a point where I just, I, I really don't have a filter. Now, how I say it may be nice, but I'm going to say it because something inside of me just can't help but say it. And sometimes we have to make relationship with people for them to hear us, and we still have to give them respect for them to hear us, but in some instances, they don't wanna hear you. And then you have to make the decision, peace out. My name is Robin. Um, my first question is, when you go through a lot in your past, how do you not let it define you when you've been through so much? Mm -hmm. oh, I love this question too. So go back to those bricks. Your past doesn't define you. That trauma, the challenges you have, you have to spin it, right? So that means, how do I spin that? I've, I've had so much trauma. I've had loss. I've dealt with all of these things. How do I spin it and get the positive out of these things? I got this stuff. I got all these bricks over here, and I'm carrying them to work. I'm carrying them to school. I'm carrying them, and they're getting away. I would go back. You have to have that self-care, and you have to evaluate who you have around you what you're listening to. So if I'm listening to things that's gonna always depress me, make me sad, if I put people around me that every time I try to say something, they stump me down, and this could even be family for some people, then I have to love people from a distance and say, I can no longer have anybody that is toxic in my life that's up close and personal. Everybody shouldn't have access to you. That's real talk. Not everybody has access, so if I've dealt with a lot of things, I have to create space and recreate my foundation like we talked about before. I got all this trauma. It doesn't define me, but it can power me and it can bring me character because I came out of this thing and I'm coming out of it. So now I can use that as fuel to help other people that come along like me. Every circumstance that has happened to you is gonna bless somebody else, but you gotta rise up and you gotta put your crown on and say, yes, I've gone through this. And every time you fall down, every time I fall off the school bus, cause I fall off a lot, Every time I sit down, sometimes writing for me in this dissertation is academically violent because it's personal, because I'm talking about injustice and, and things that I'm reading and I'm dealing with my emotions. So I have to have a journal and I have to keep coming to the table and say, you know what, I'm going to sit down. I got to write. I got to face this. And if I have to cry, if I have to deal with it, if I have to go to counseling because I've been there and am there then I'm going to do it. And your tears is washing and it's cleansing. I love that question. And I love you. Yes. Do I have to stand to ask a question? No. Or is it, I feel like this is good. Hey, I'm MJ again. Um, so 
One time in third grade, I won a personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut because I wrote the best Martin Luther King Jr. essay. And every year um, I think about it because it was like a running joke in my family because I was very white, blonde, like white blonde hair, blue eyes. And I got like the congratulations for my MLK paper, which was like a weird, just a weird thing. Um, and I think about it in, in a weird way whenever I'm trying to kind of be an advocate or um, do any sort of social justice with groups that aren't of my own demographic, whether that's race or orientation or whatever. And I guess I'm just wondering how to, um, since it started in third grade, um, how to kind of speak up for, for these sort of injustices without like talking over other voices, like amplifying rather than talking over. Um, I like to think that I do a good job of it, but whenever I get the opportunity to ask, I know that like with more theoretical power, it's like a little more amplified for me to speak, but I don't want to step on anyone's toes, you know? I love your voice. I'd love to read that paper. Remember I said that a lot of our purpose sometimes drops in us when we're younger, things happen to us, right? And, and we don't realize what our purpose is. What I didn't say, I was saying this to my daughter in the car, but then I feed different in the audience, so I don't know what I'm gonna say sometimes. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna say a couple things. Always use your voice. You can respectively use your voice because you have a positionality. You also, everybody in this room has diversity. And if you go back to all of those marches, any if you go back through that entire civil rights movement, there were other people, not just black people in that movement. And so your voice is important and we need your voice just as loud as we need other voices. And I can already tell that you're not disrespectful in elevating the lived experience of those who are going through those things. But you are also going through things. You're also going through challenges. They may be different, but something in you since you was a little girl feels this thing. So you use your voice. You break out that essay again and you keep writing because we need you. Does that make sense? When I was younger, when I got to middle school, middle school, y'all, how many of y'all like middle school? I was very shy, very, very shy. When I was in preschool and, and like my mom had me doing all these speeches in church and all of these things and I didn't know any better then. <laughs> I get to middle school and I'm at a new school. And they say, you gotta, I had did this project and they say, you gotta get up and speak in front of the class. And I was shaking like a leaf. I was so horrible that the teacher said to Rita, you can sit down. I still remember her name. Her name is Mrs. Coleman. I didn't know that today I would be standing up on this stage because I went through so much trauma and anxiety about speaking after that for years. I never wanted to get up in front of people again. So that's why I speak with this power and that enthusiasm because I know where I came from. So don't mind anybody that tells you you don't have a right to speak because you have a right to speak because I can't pay attention to my community and not understand this because we're all community. We're all unified in that way. Thank you for your question, MJ. <laughs> Y'all are so wonderful. <laughs> Hello. <clears throat> Sorry. Hello, thank you. And I also am just in love with the way um, you speak. And it was just very captivating. So I, I want to thank you for that. Um, so a question I have is, the, ML, the MLK quote, um, where injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, is something I tell my students every day at the school. 
A question I have is, <clears throat> in a world where hatred could be financially backed or supported, when does injustice and when injustice may be accepted in that society? How can individuals stay relentless in the pursuit of liberation while, combat while combating such marginalization? Ooh, ooh. Oh. This, is, this is a lifetime. The reality, the reason why I breathe deeply in that question, this is a lifetime. Every week I am explaining myself or articulating something to somebody to get them to get it. This is every week. It has become a part of my persona, but I also have to have distance that goes back to your question, because if I'm fighting, 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 I can feel um, there's something called racial battle fatigue and I can be fatigued and I can turn away from all of this, no matter what skin you are in and say, I'm tired of this because there's so much hatred. And instead of just holding the bricks, the people are throwing the bricks at me. So when I listened to Dr. King, there were times when he was worried about his family and he cried and they threw a bomb there and they were gonna do this, but he kept marching forward in the injustice. This is not a race that is won overnight. This is centuries. Now, because I've been in this PhD program, I have read everything. And one of the things that I understand is not everybody has the same knowledge because I've had the experience of reading it and I still need a lot of, of knowledge too. So you're constantly learning. So I have to educate myself. I've got to have a good network. I've got to know when to pull back. I need to know when to push. I can't fight everything. I need to know what I can fight. What really matters? What do you stand for? Write that out. What is it that I stand for? What is something that I absolutely cannot tolerate? What is it that triggers me so much? Because with those things, I'm always going to speak up and I'm always gonna fight. What are the things that I can give somebody else? Because I can't do it all. We gotta link arms just like that tug of war. We gotta fight it together. And I need to find people that are like me to do this fight. And when I'm too tired, I give them some of my bricks. It's not an easy answer. This is a lifetime. We have a question from Zoom from okay. our virtual folks that I'd like to read for you. Um, what are some of your strategies, whether it be in the work you do or just in your personal life, for starting the conversation of bringing diversity and inclusion to the workplace? And I'd mm. also include, since we're on a college campus, to the classroom as well. This every day. Um, relationship. Often when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I'm gonna add belonging, because it's become so politicized, it is like a, a trigger word or, or phrase or whatever is triggering. And oftentimes behind things that are trigger is fear. Oftentimes when you see anger, I always tell my kids that anger is a secondary emotion. So what I have to do, if I go in a room and I've had many presentations and maybe it's just me and Victor that look like we do and the whole audience looks different than us. And I know immediately I have to Elim eliminate the fear. I got to bring it down. So maybe I talk about, this is not about canceling anybody. Because oftentimes when people hear diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, they think it's cancel culture because we live in a society of cancel culture. 
They think it means that I erase you or I'm so bad and this happened this time, but I wasn't the person that doing it, but you blame me. So now we got to get, get that out of the way. And we have to help people to understand that we all own this, that that statement that you said, injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere, right? I, I twist that up a little bit differently because it is. It's injustice everywhere. I have to understand that if I don't have these conversations, if they don't like the language, I have to figure out how can I build relationship? Because when you feel, you ever experienced this, you have somebody that you met and maybe they've gone through something. I have a friend, I'm, I'm sure she's probably listening. Um, she has an eye disease. And I, I hadn't heard of the eye disease before I met her. And we're really close friends. We've been friends for over 20 years. And because I know the eye disease, I know what she's been through. Every time she got to take a driving test, all of that things, because I'm so close to her, I understand it because I have relationship. So then when I get in a job and I got a team member and that team member has that same eye disease, immediately I'm providing everything that they need. Immediately my empathy is through the roof because I have relationship with this really good friend of mine. So when I have relationship with people that are different than me and I get to love them and I get to learn them, then that my empathy goes up usually. That is not always the case, but usually. So you have to figure out how do I get common ground? How do I help people to understand? In some of those workshops I go in and I do generational things that I know I can like, I can start in different elements of the diversity wheel because diversity means many things. All of you have uh, attributes of diversity in this room. So I have to start there and then I have to break that thing down. Oftentimes when people hate something or they're afraid of it, it's because they're unlearned. I learned that after I was sitting in these classes and my, my entire PhD program is like a social justice thing. All instructors, my chair is like an activist. She is the one that gave me the turn. This writing is emotionally violent. Every call, I'm like, oh, oh God. Every call, I'm, I'm like, I'm not gonna cry with you today. I am not gonna cry with you today. You know, so this is all the time and they all are like this. They all, I mean, I got instructors, they done wrote books called White Out, they got everything. All of these books. So I have been inundated with materials and have read and discussed what I realized when I would get up to teach in my class. I can't start or a workshop off the bat like white privilege because I'm going to flare people up. So I have to be able, how do I break that down? How do I start where people are, where we meet common ground? And then step by step, I unravel it. Now, I will tell you, sometimes I teach adjunct social work and because of social work, I would start in the class sometimes first day, but I got 15 weeks to unpack that. First day I get up in there and they looking at me like, oh Lord, cause I say every system in this country is racist. And they're like, uh-oh. But I got 15 weeks to unpack it and show them. And by the time, from the moment they're in the class to the moment, at moment after, no matter what their political affiliation is or how, what their upbringing, they are changed. Yeah, so it's relationship, it's time. Sometimes we don't have time, but that's a reality. Thank you, and I think we have time for one more question if anyone in the audience has a burning question. All right, I'll come to the back. Thanks for uh, being here tonight, I really appreciate it. Uh, my question is, you charge us with sharing our um, maybe time and talent or gifts uh, with other people. And for those of us that maybe haven't discovered what those are yet, what are some ways that you've seen work or some methods that you have on 
helping us understand like what it is that we're good at and what we can lean into and then maybe how we can share that out with the broader community. Thank you for this question. I think really going back and doing some soul searching, even go all the way back to childhood. When I do workshops, I say, what were the toys that you like to play with? What are the things that you can get lost in? Right, because sometimes when we look at talent, we may look at somebody being able to sing or something as a talent, and we may not think that we have a talent, but everybody has talents and multiple talents. So go back, do some things. What were the classes that you really enjoyed? What, what made you light up? What makes you light up? Is it music? Is it when you read certain things? Is it uh, many, many things? Also, your personality assessments do help. I know some people don't like them, but I didn't took all of them. Um, and they all, even though they're different, they all say the same thing. I, I really know, and they've been saying the same thing since I've been in seventh grade, real talk. So taking some of those assessments, there's many different ones. Pathway U is one that I really like that people probably haven't heard of um, because it also connects to something called ONET and it shows you different jobs that go into it. You know, we know strengths. Uh, there's, there's many, many different assessments. Leveraging your career center, you're, we're on a college campus. Go in and talk to those folks. They have assessments that they pay for for you. So take it and, and sit down and talk with them. Talk to people. Listen, I, I, I told you my, my, my trauma with public speaking. Y'all went through it. I'm telling you the truth. But every time people would keep telling me when I had to do a presentation in school or they would just keep putting me on the stage, even the first job, they just kept doing it, kept doing it. I'd be like, they don't know what I got to do. Jumping jacks back here. I'm sweating. I'm walking back and forth like, whoo, I can't even enjoy the, 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 I can't eat. I can't do nothing. Right. And I said, why do they keep putting me back up on this stage? Because they saw something in me that I didn't see in me. So oftentimes your giftings, people will tell you you're really good at this. Listen to them. Listen to it and listen to, you know, in, in your body, there's things that you are just naturally gifted at that you can do and, and you can do it and, and maybe somebody else can't do it and you, you don't even realize it. My daughter and I just had this conversation because she's like, oh God, if you don't stop pointing me out in this room. <laughs> but you know what? I was her. I was just like that and I was my mama, but my mama made even worse. Right. But we just had this conversation that gifting doesn't always look talent, doesn't always look the same for everybody. We know it doesn't look the same. And it's not the, the, the traditional things that you always see. You can have an organizational gift. You can have when there's chaos, you know how to put things back in place. Begin to investigate what it is that you love to do. What do you always find yourself drawn to? That will give you a glimpse of what you're probably good at, too. Yeah. Is that our last question? All right. Thank you so much. You guys are great. Thanks for listening to an episode of The Rewind, a podcast series by the Hallenstein Center for Presidential Studies. The audio for this episode was captured by Mark Washburn of Gyrus Media. This episode was produced and sound engineered by Maddie Miller. The Hallenstein Center for Presidential Studies at Grand Valley State University is inspired by Ralph Hallenstein's life of leadership and service and is dedicated to raising a community of ethical, effective leaders for the 21st century. For more information on our center, our Peter C. Cook Leadership Academy, or our Common Ground Initiative, visit our website at www.gvsu.edu hc. Keep up with our current events and recurring initiatives. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn, all of which can be found linked below. 
If you liked this episode, consider giving us a review and rating so we can be found by other podcast listeners. Again, thank you for listening.